to God. I hope you know that. That's why we're here. You know, we sing, as Aaron has encouraged us, to sing from our hearts. We express our love to God. We honor him. We worship him. We give to him our resources, from our resources financially. Um, we give him our time. We honor him. We give. Um, but what this article reminded me of is the beautiful reality that when we gather as one, as his people, uh, God comes not only to receive, which he does with joy, but also to give to us. Have you ever thought about that? We come here to be with, with the Lord, and the Lord comes here to be with us. And uh, he blesses. I don't know how you'll be blessed today, but I sure hope you will. Um, maybe a knowledge of scripture that I'll speak. Maybe a song or a word in the song or a phrase that just spoke to you profoundly of God's love for you. Oh, how he loves. Um, maybe a moment of, of comfort in the midst of a really trying and difficult time. Maybe a bit of a kick in the pants occasionally because God knows you need it. Sending you in the right direction. I don't know. I'm not God. <clears throat> but here's what I do know is that worship is a time. And I'm, I'm envisioning the prodigal son's father with his arms wide open waiting for the son to come home. Aren't we that son? And as we gather together, the Lord comes and he just throws his arms around us to love us. And we throw our arms around him and love him back. I hope you understand that's what worship is. An encounter with God. And not only an encounter with God, a time of deep fellowship with the God who loves us. Deep fellowship. Right here. We as one. In his presence and in his embrace. Sounds like a good sermon for Sunday, doesn't it? Well, I'll, I'll give it a few weeks or months. And see where we go with it. I want to make one quick introduction or, or one comment, I suppose, before I preach this morning. Uh, many of you will know Joyce DeGuerre Vanderspeck, uh, one of the pastors here. Um, uh, one of her responsibilities is pastoral care. Now, we locate caring for one another first and foremost and primarily in our life groups. You know, people come here and they don't look to the pastor to care for them if there's an issue first and foremost. It's the life group that just surrounds people when they have need and, and loves them. Occasionally, you need a pastor, right? And uh, one of the things Joyce does is, is meet with people in those moments of crisis and difficulty and heartache. Well, this past week, Joyce had her ankle replaced in Toronto. And <clears throat> for 12 weeks, she's not going to be with us. And I thought, oh my goodness, what are we going to do about that? And what we did about that was to ask two of the retired uh, ministers in our church if they would um, uh, take her place, you know, really kick in and, and, and uh, uh, come out of the retirement, if you would, and, and uh, give the pastoral care that's required. And uh, I just want to introduce them to you. I imagine many of you know Fred. Would you stand up, Fred? Fred Hagel. And uh, he is one of those two. And George Robertson is newer to our church. Where's George? Right beside him. Ah, they're, they're buddying up. <laughs> And these are two gifted pastors, uh, and uh, they're just happy. I was so thrilled to hear that they were so happy to step in uh, to the extent that they're able to, uh, to serve. And we want to thank you two for, for being willing. So if you see one of them show up at some point, and you say, who's this guy? Now you know, all right? And pray for them as they do the ministry. Thank you, guys. Let me pray. Lord, the comment that worship is to be a time of deep fellowship between us and you. A time like no other when we gather together and we, we just enter into your embrace and we hug you and love you back. 
Lord, it's here where we experience grace and love and, and so much else. It's here, Lord, where we turn to your word and where someone such as myself gets to speak and to communicate that reality to your people. And in so doing, Lord, your people hear again the voice of God. So, Lord, allow this to be a time of great blessing for us. <clears throat> Help us to hear clearly <clears throat> what it is that you would say to us. Allow us to be blessed in the hearing and then in the doing then of the word that you speak today. So, Lord, we're thankful for you. We're thankful to be in your presence. We're thankful that as we come to meet with you, you come to meet with us. So speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to speak today about something that is very real but that you can't see. <clears throat> Have you ever thought about all the things that you know are real but you can't see? <clears throat> One of them is gravity. What happens if I let this go? Are you sure? Ah, you're right. Gravity. You just saw the effects of gravity, but you can't see gravity. Right? How about love? Can anybody see love? We can see the effects of love, but we can't see it. You know, I think of the times I drove as a young guy in love with my soon-to-be wife from Toronto to Western University, like, over and over and over again. You can see love, but you don't see it. You see the effects of it, but you can't see it. Somehow it was wrapped up in, in me. Jesus spoke, and we talked about this last week, to Nicodemus, and he said, the Spirit of God is like the wind. You can't see it, but you know it's there. Anybody seen the wind lately? And he was speaking, of course, of the Spirit of God. Anybody seen the Spirit of God lately? See, the things that we can't see, but they're very, very real. Now I want to talk to you today uh, from the story, of course, as we're moving through this and moving toward the conclusion of it uh, later on in, in May. Uh, essentially centered on this man with a plan, chapter 24, whose name is Jesus Christ. Um, this section, this man with a plan section is on the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Son of God. We saw in the birth narratives the story of Jesus' birth, how he was divine. Absolutely clearly taught in the, in, in the New Testament. And then last week we talked about how he is so incredibly different from everybody, how he thought, how he spoke, how he acted, proving in one way that he was God. If he was acting and speaking like everybody else, we would have reason to question his claim to be God. No, he was a unique individual. Never anyone like him, never anyone since, nor will there be. He was God. This was a man who changed history dramatically. Think about it. A Jewish carpenter, carpenter from a little town called Nazareth, Nazareth, who was killed as a criminal 2,000 years ago. And today, millions of people gather around the world to worship him. Remarkable man with a plan. And we're going to talk about that plan today. I want to do so by asking you this question. What do you think was the primary message that Jesus spoke while he was on earth? Now, don't answer me because here's my contention. Most people in North America, Christian people, people who know and love Christ, when asked that question will get the answer wrong. I would say close, well, well over 90% is my guess. They would answer good things, but it wouldn't be the primary message which Jesus spoke. They would probably say, and you might, 
Well, Jesus' basic message was, I am the son of God. I'm going to die on the cross for your sin. If you believe in me and, and, and have faith in me, uh, you can find forgiveness in me and you can become a child of God and know eternal life. Now, that's incredibly true. And I would want all of you to know that and to believe it with all of your hearts, not only know it, but to experience that dynamic of becoming a child of God, loved by him in fellowship and communion with him. But I'm going to stand here and tell you right now, and I want you to be like the people of Berea, you know, the Berean Christians in Acts, who were told things, and what did they do when they were told it and they weren't quite sure it was right? They went to the scriptures to prove for themselves it was right. I'm challenging you, go do this. But the primary message of Jesus is not what I just described. The primary message of Jesus, by far and above all, was the message that the kingdom of God had come. I read once in one place this week that that is said 60 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You know, I doubt that a little bit because I think it's probably a lot more, but I didn't have time to go on count. You go do that. But it's a lot. It's there over and over and over and over again coming from the mouths of Jesus. Let me quote some of these really quickly to you. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, the kingdom of God has come near. Matthew chapter 4, sorry, the kingdom of heaven in Matthew. The other gospels, it's God. Same thing. Matthew chapter 4, um, uh, it says that Jesus traveled all through Galilee proclaiming the good news of himself. No, the kingdom. The kingdom. Um, Luke chapter 12, if the spirit of God drives out demons, Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter into heaven. No, the kingdom of God. It's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into what? The kingdom of God. Over and over and over again. You know, he, sa he says in Matthew chapter 24, 14, I think this is so powerful that it's written there. Jesus spoke of the gospel of the kingdom. Oh, somebody's buying in over here. I don't know who it is, but uh, oh, it's the pastor back there. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you stick with pastoral care, okay? I'll take care of the preaching today. <laughs> no, Fred spoke a few weeks ago, and we're so thankful that he did. Um, Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You go proclaim the kingdom. I, I hope you're beginning to recognize, maybe something new, that the primary message of Jesus was about the kingdom of God. It had come. It is with us. It is near, Jesus said. On and on and on he goes. Now, what is, what is this? What is a kingdom? It is a realm where a king reigns. Really simple. A realm where a king reigns. We're not so much into kingdoms anymore. We're into democracy, and happily so, where the people by vote place rulers in power, and people by vote can remove those leaders if they wish and put others in power. But a king who has power and absolute authority in my life? Not so much. As a matter of fact, in our culture, particularly in the younger half, I would say, of our culture, the idea of authority is really, really suspect because of how authorities, institutions, and otherwise have acted in the last few generations. They've lost the trust of people. So when people consider an authority, they look at that authority with great distrust rather than with trust. It's a negative, if you would. But I want to tell you what the kingdom of God is, is a realm where the king reigns. King reigns. This is predicted in the Old Testament. Let me uh, read very quickly to you Zechariah 9.9. 9. 
Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding in a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And let's move quickly then to Matthew 21.5, which says this. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, Jesus was doing it. He did it intentionally. And the author of the gospel applies the text to him. And who is he? He is a king. What do you do with a king who claims ultimate authority as the son of God? There's a good question that I want us to grapple with today. See, Jesus, it just says also, I just want to say quickly, in Luke, in, in those birth narratives that we looked at, Jesus was said he will sit on David's throne. Who sits on a throne? A king. And his reign will be how long? Forever. There's absolutely no question that in the New Testament, not only did Jesus speak mostly about a kingdom, he is presented as a king, one with great authority and ultimate power. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, in my coming, the kingdom is here. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent. This is what he preached, for the kingdom of God has come near. Kingdom of God has come near. I want to take a look in this chapter with you today at some texts that describe this reality called the kingdom. We're going to start at page 336, Mark chapter 426 and following, and I'm just going to get this right. Yes, he also said, and this is something Jesus did over and over and over again. He described the kingdom because he wanted people to know what it was. Guess what? What does Jesus want you to know today? How does he want to speak into your life? He wants to inform you about the kingdom, all right? He also said, Jesus, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. I want to tell you, the kingdom is very real. That seed, the word of God, is sown into soil like our hearts and it grows, and it becomes visible because it becomes fruitful. Our lives having an impact for God, good impact in this world. I'm not going to read it to you, but if you were to back up a page, the first page in chapter 4, it talks about the, the parable of the sower. Many of you will know it. It talks about four types of soil and a farmer scattering seed on that soil. The four types of soil represent four types of hearts. Three types of hearts, you know, the seed drops on it, but it can't produce deep roots, and it dies. Three out of four people not interested in the kingdom. One out of four, at least in the, that parable, the seed goes into the soil, it goes into the heart, and it, it, it roots itself in that heart, and something grows, and those people become fruitful for God. You can see it. You can see the kingdom has come because the fruit is there. Love, joy, peace, patience, the fruit of the Spirit, evangelism that produces other believers, Etc., etc., etc. God is at work in a very real way. You see, the reality is it can be seen. Let me read to you or, or tell you about the reality. Another reality of what, how we can see, if you would, the kingdom. Page 343. This is a story of Jesus, one of the many in this chapter. That day, when evening came, that day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go. Over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. 
just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. <laughs> Do you hear the question? Who is this man? I want to tell you, this man was the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the son of God with ultimate power over nature. And he spoke and the storm ceased. And they were left amazed. You know? Look, look, look at what follows actually in the text. Um, Mark chapter 4, 3 and following. Then they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. He had an evil spirit upon him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had been often chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Anybody in a hurry to minister to such a person? Oh, Chris, let me take that one. I'll, I'll go and care for him in Jesus' name. Not likely, right? We would want to run away. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Jesus, he, sorry, he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Evil knows who Jesus, knew who Jesus was. In God's name, don't torture me. <laughs> you see, the demon is afraid of Jesus, not Jesus afraid of the demon because he's the king and he is the powerful one. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out, out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission as the authoritative king. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Um, I want to tell you, my friends, when God is present, when the king is among us, and he exercises his power. We can see it. And in these two instances, we recognize Jesus for who he is. You see, the purpose of miracles, this is a general statement. You know, <laughs> it's not to quiet every storm in Israel that ever happened. He didn't. And it's not to cast out every demon and every person who was demonized in Israel. He didn't do that. And it wasn't to heal every person in Israel. There were times he healed one out of many. Not everybody. But I want to tell you the purpose of the miracles in, in the Gospels was, to, uh, the purpose was to display the royal authority of Christ. His power. To show clearly that he was king of kings. And to point to a day when the kingdom would come in its fullness, seen by all. Jesus recognized as king. No one and believed in as the divine son of God, the king of kings. Question for you. In your experience of life in the kingdom, are you seeing the power of God exercised in your experience? 
you know, my sense is a lot of Christians would have to say no to that. And no, I haven't seen the spirit of Christ at work in a powerful way in and through me or in the lives of people I know. Because you see, way too many Christian people live without the reality of, of, of the fullness of the kingdom of God. You know, we believe the right stuff, but we're not living it. You want to talk to some folks who, who encounter the power of Christ at work in them, I want you to talk to anyone on our prayer team. And I want you to ask them, when you invoke the name and the authority of Jesus and pray for something or for someone, how often do you see his power exercised in and among you? <laughs> and if you never encounter that, you will be really surprised. If you want to see or hear from somebody who's encountered or is encountering the power of God, the risen Christ, the King of kings at work in them, talk to people who have taken or who are taking the healing care ministry at our church. And ask them, are you encountering Christ in a powerful way as he reveals to you the lies that have rooted themselves in your heart? They have come from evil, and you are, you are seeing them expelled for your life and seeing those lies uh, replaced by the truth of God in a way that is changing you. And people will tell you that that is happening to me. See, my friends, if we're in the kingdom of God, we are to see the effects. We are to not only show them, but we are to encounter the reality of the authority of the king of heaven in our lives. And if we are not, we're missing out because that's what the New Testament calls us to experience. What we're also called to experience is to live in the reality of the kingdom. Have you ever thought about that? And are we doing it together? You know, you want to know uh, what that reality looks like. You just read the Bible. And that's why I keep saying, read the Bible, study the Bible, learn the Bible deeply, encounter the kingdom and what we're called to. But Matthew chapter 5 to 7 describes the Sermon on the Mount. And it says things ab about these realities. When we recognize Christ as king and when we live according to the kingdom reality, we will not judge people because our hearts have been so impacted by gr the grace of God that we're just ready to give it to other people. That's kingdom living. We are not to love money. We're not to go there. We're not to care about the stuff. It's to be understood as a blessing given to us by God to bless our lives and to bless others and to build his kingdom. We're not supposed to love it or live for it. That's a kingdom reality. We are to love our enemies. How many of you have been really hurt by people? And when you hear that phrase, love your enemies, people who have hurt you, people who have you wronged you, something that kind of shrivels up and says, oh, I don't know. But what the kingdom reality suggests is when we live in obedience to the king and we encounter the grace that I just described to you, we can start to not only not hate them, we can start to love them and actually pray for them. People who have wronged us, that's the kingdom coming alive in us by the power and grace of Christ. We are to live in humility so that when we pray and when we fast and when we give, we're not doing it in front of people for the glory that we might encounter. We're doing it only in the presence of God, no one else knowing, so that we might honor him. Hmm? I could go on and on. We are to, oh, I love this one <laughs> because it applies so much to my life. We are to never worry. Seek first the... Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, Jesus speaking to his disciples about food and clothing, all of these things will be given uh, to you as well. You know what the reality is behind that 
passage, that statement, is that we have a God in heaven who is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He absolutely loves us. He has at his disposal resources that are infinite, and he can give us whatever he wants when he chooses so that we never need to worry about anything. That's kingdom living, right? That's, that's stepping in, living based on the reality. We're never to be angry even in our hearts. We're not to lust even in our hearts, etc., etc., etc. And in the, de- in the end, when we come to that place where we step into the kingdom of God, not only are, are we displaying it to the world, not only are we counting the power and the authority of Jesus at work within us, we are living a life that is incredibly different and incredibly good. One other thing Jesus calls us to is that we are to be once in the kingdom, people who build it. People who build it. Let me read Matthew 28, 18 to 20, really well-known verses. This is at the end of uh, Jesus' time with the disciples. He's, he's about to ascend into heaven after his resurrection. Then Jesus came to them and said, listen to this, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Ultimate authority? There it is. All authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, if I could, about living in the kingdom of God. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He is with us by his power, by his authority to enable us to do what he has just called us to do. You see, my friends, we, in our lives, we as a church are to build the kingdom of God. I want you to know the church and the kingdom are not the same thing, right? The church is part of the kingdom, and it exists, why? To build the kingdom, to see lives changed. And as lives are changed, to see the way this world functions change, so it becomes what God wishes it to be. I want to tell you the church of Christ, our church exists to build the kingdom, to see the power of God flow, the truth of God transform lives made new as people step into the reality of what it uh, means to be his. I don't know if you, if you really apply that to your life, do you? Your commission, my commission, our commission is to, by the authority of Christ, see this world change. Let me read Luke 9, 1 and 2 to you. Do you apply this to your life? When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority. Do you hear it? Power. Authority. To drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he said to them, go out and proclaim, what? The kingdom of God and to heal the sick. It's our calling. That's our purpose. To see wholeness come. To see evil defeated and, and driven away. Lives set free. I want to tell you, my friends, when this happens, we discover, when people, when people discover what I'm describing, when they step into the kingdom of reality and really live it, we discover something absolutely phenomenal. And quite frankly, I'm here today to ask you, have you done so, or is this just something you hear about other people doing, whether it be in the New Testament or otherwise? Have you stepped in? Are you encountering the reality? Let me read to you Matthew 13, 44 to 46. Jesus speaking again. Hmm, there it is. The kingdom of heaven is like 
such a common phrase from Jesus' lips. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a, a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. You know, you know what Jesus is saying here? What he's trying to communicate is, to us is this thing called the kingdom is such a remarkable, fabulous thing that we're willing to give anything to hold on to it, to take hold of it. It's, 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 it's like winning the lottery 20 times over. There's nothing better in a human being's life than discovering the reality of the kingdom of God. Experiencing Christ as king in ways that I've described. What's, re what's required to enter into the kingdom? Let me put it this way. We have to believe that Christ is king. Faith, obviously. Got to come to that place. But we also have to recognize that in every kingdom, there is room for only one king. And that's not us. That's not us. It's Jesus Christ. So can I ask in love, have you done that? Come to a place in faith where you move toward repentance and receive forgiveness and then come to a place in your life where you recognize Jesus. The Bible puts it this way, Jesus as Lord, Savior and Lord, one who saved us through his death on the cross and one who becomes the king of our lives. If we come to that place where we have given ultimate allegiance to him, where we bow before him in worship, where we live our lives serving his purposes in kingdom building, where we live in obedience to the things that he has spoken simply because he is the king and we are not. You know, I recognize some people hearing this, maybe even for the first time, uh, might find this difficult. Um, because of what I described earlier, authority power given to anything or anyone is suspect in this day. But I want to tell you, and I want to reiterate what Jesus said when he talked about the treasure and the pearl, to find this thing, to discover this thing, is the most amazing thing any human being will ever know. So says scripture. And that is first and foremost because of who the king is. This king of ours is not a cruel, self-absorbed, dictatorial despot who acts only for his own benefit. He is a king who is humble and who is kind, and who is loving and who is merciful and who is gracious. A king who cares deeply for his people, loves them, and who provides for them. He is a king who did not come to be served but to serve by giving his life as a ransom for many, Jesus' words. We don't need to fear this king. We don't need to be afraid of entering into his realm and live under his authority because to do so is blessing after blessing after blessing. It is life eternal. Such people who enter into this kingdom end up knowing joy and peace and goodness and love. The dynamic experience of God in their lives. Being part of building an eternal reality called the kingdom. 
See, discovering the kingdom is the best thing ever, as kids say, because there we encounter his presence and his power and the storms of our lives are addressed and the evil which is at work at us is sent away and sickness and disease is, is at times, according to God's will, healed. See, my friends, my question for you today, is there anyone here who wants to enter into this kingdom? And for those of you who have, is there anyone here who wants more of it? Let me put it to you like this. Every single person in this uh, room today is either in the kingdom or not. Every person. It's out of Jesus in Matthew 25 where he separates the sheep from the goats. I could say, okay, everybody in the kingdom over here and everybody not in the kingdom over here. It's possible. I would never do that. I, I can't separate out people, but it's possible to do that. Every person is either in the kingdom or they are not. They have not come to a place of faith. They have not recognized Christ as king and yielded their lives fully and completely to him. Or they have come to recognize Christ as king, the living son of God. And they have committed themselves to live under his authority, to obey his commands, to yield themselves entirely to him. And the difference is this, people who have submitted to his, to his authority are people who are living in rebellion before him, rejecting his authority. Listen to me. As once Adam and Eve did too. The beginning of the story is a story about our ancestors who so long ago were once living in in, in, in fellowship with God, who were yielded to his authority, who believed every word that he spoke, but who chose to move from that reality into rebellion, to disobey, to disbelieve, and of course to be cast out of the garden even as a result, of, to be separated from God. And I want to know today where you at. I want you to grapple with this. If you're living in rebellion to God, you probably know it. I'm not willing to do that, God. I'm not going there, Jesus. I know you're king, and I believe in you, but I'm not going to... Or, Lord Jesus, you're the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the one who has power and authority. I recognize you as the divine son of God. What you call me to do, I will do. I yield my life fully and completely to you because I'm no longer the king. You know, through this whole series, we've talked about the upper story and the lower story. Here's the upper story dynamic here. Number one, Jesus, when he came, came and he brought the kingdom of God as king. The realm was now present. And second to that, a day will come when everybody will see and acknowledge Christ as Lord. You know, Adam and Eve, the critical coming of Jesus as king and the reality of the kingdom come among us until the day, and we'll get there in the last Sunday we uh, spend in the story together, when Christ comes again and he comes and his power and his authority will be displayed for all. In that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In that day, all the storms will cease and evil will be no more and sickness will be a thing of the past. Anybody looking forward to that day? Oh, man, am I looking forward to that day. That's the upper story, and God's making it happen. And nothing is going to keep God from accomplishing what he intends. But you know what the lower story is? Whether it's people in the New Testament or ourselves, 
It's our response to the unseen upper story. You see, that's a reality. And we see people in the New Testament, we talked about them last week, some people refused to recognize Christ as king and, and fought him, and ultimately they killed him on a cross. But we also see people who recognize him for who he was, and they bent their knee in his presence, and they yielded their lives to the one whom they knew was God. So here's the ultimate question I've got for you today. Honestly. You want to answer this now, great. If you want to take a few days to pray it through, that's okay too. But ultimately, who rules your life? Either you do or Jesus. And I'm not talking just about in name. Oh, yes, I've confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm not talking about that. I think that's incredibly important. But I'm talking here and now in fact, who rules your life? In terms of some of the things that I've described, in terms of your sexuality. Who's in charge? Who's the authority? Who do you obey? In terms of your use of your money, who's the authority in your life? Who do you obey? In terms of the plans that you have for your life, I'm thinking younger people, but not necessarily just young people. Whose plans will be enacted in your life? Whose plans will you embrace, your own or his? It's a huge question. In terms of how you treat your spouse, in terms of how you treat your children, who's the authority in your life? Let me turn it around, kids, in terms of how you treat your parents. You see, there's a kingdom reality. There is a kingdom way. <clears throat> the king has spoken, and if he is the king of our lives, we submit to him, and we live in obedience by faith to what he has said. But to do that, my friends, we had to make him king. What do you do with your free time? And the gifts God has given to you, do you give yourself to building the kingdom of God or building your own kingdom? Now, that's a powerful question. I want to say this, and I want to, I want to make it absolutely clear. We can't come to Christ and receive him as Savior without receiving him as Lord. You get that? Oh, I'm going to come to Jesus because he's going to forgive my sins, and he's going to be there when I need him, <clears throat> especially when things get tough. I can call Jesus in to help me out as if he's my servant. Oh, I'm going to go to heaven, and I'm happy about it because I'm blessed. Jesus is going to get me there. That's us using Jesus for our own purposes as opposed to, Lord Jesus, I'm here for your purposes. And while I'm blessed in the journey, <clears throat> what do you call me to? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What's your purpose for my life? How do I use my money? How do I use my sexuality? How do, you, how do I plan my, my future? How do I use my free time? Let me finish with this. Well, almost. When Jesus said the kingdom of God is near... You know the word near in, in the original language in Greek? You know what it means? literally means within your reach. It's right there. It's that close. My friends, we can step into it if we wish. We are called into it by a God of love who will only command us to do things that are for our good and for our blessing and for the good of this world of ours. But entering into that kingdom that Jesus spoke so often about means 
Yeah, you come to that place of faith. Yes, you find forgiveness of your sins. And yes, you make him king because he is God. Here's the last point. And here's the thing I would have you process just as we conclude. I'm going to ask the band to come up now. Because they're going to play quietly for a minute, if they would. I want to ask you this question. What is the one thing in your mind right now or the one thing that God will bring to your mind right now by his spirit because Jesus is alive and by his spirit he can speak into our minds. What is the one thing you need to do in order to recognize Christ as king? What do you need to stop doing? What do you need to start doing? Who is it that you need to forgive? What enemy do you need to pray for? What relationship needs to end? How, how are you going to use the funds, God's funds that he's given to you and entrusted to you to use for him? Time to tithe? In obedience to the king? I can't delineate all the possibilities. But what I know is that we have a God who is living and who is real. You can't see him, I can't see him. But we know he's real. And he's willing to speak. So we're not going to pray, but we are going to take a moment. If you want to close your eyes, go ahead. If you want to just sit and think, and um, just for 30 seconds or so, ask the Lord Jesus. Well, number one, if you've never invited him into your life, do it. Say, Lord, I, number one, I need forgiven. Come into my life. If you've never made him king, tell him that you're going to. If you're not at that point because your faith isn't there yet, ask him to help your faith get there still. But if you've made him king, say, Lord Jesus, what is the one thing you want me to do this week? You're the king, I am not. I'm done with rebelling. It's time to obey. What is the one thing you want me to do this week? I want everybody to leave here today with one thing in their minds, which when you do or stop doing, you will acknowledge Christ as your king. Let's just take a minute in silence. Sometimes this is hard for us to figure out, but the, the greatest blessing that we can know is to participate in, in your kingdom. To get to that place where we stop rebelling and we step off the throne and invite you to sit on it. Where we discover this reality of living according to your plan and to your way and to your mind and to your heart. Because there, Lord, the greatest thing a human can know is found. Lord, I pray for these people that if they're not in your kingdom, if they're not living the reality of kingdom life, that you will lead them into it. And right now, what I pray is that you will show them that one thing and that you will give them the grace and the wisdom and, yes, the power by your spirit to do it. Lord Jesus, we would be a church where you are king, Christ our king. Make this a reality in us, we pray. 
Let's stand and worship together. Yes, you. 